you have your Bibles, uh, I'm going to encourage you to uh, open them up to Matthew chapter 10, and now we can now we can hit record. Matthew 10, verse 24. And we're following up in the text that we have for this week. And uh, I think last night there was some discussion among my girls about how long Dad might talk today. No, I, we'll, we'll see. I think, <laughs> I don't recall. I said, yeah, it's not going to go short. Anyway, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. They weren't, they weren't picking on me that hard. They, they are capable of doing it. But anyway, Matthew 10, verse 24. A disciple is not above his teacher nor a slave above his master. It is enough for a disciple that he become like his teacher and the slave like his master if they called the head of the house Beelzebub. Now, remember, just a few verses earlier, this is exactly what they call Jesus, that he's in league with Satan. That was, in, I believe, at the end of chapter 9. So he's casting out demons because he's the ruler of demons. And so this word Beelzebub is not only a reference to, uh, to Satan, but transliterated, you know, from the original language, it literally meant dung face. Okay? It's, it was a, it, you know, it was a rough. It was rough. Uh, how much more will they malign the members of his household? Uh, therefore, do not fear them. Now, I want you to notice three different times Jesus gives that exhortation in this text. For there's nothing concealed that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be made known. What I tell you in the darkness, speak in the light. And what you hear whispered in the ear, uh, proclaim upon the housetops. Do not fear those who can kill the body, but uh, who are able to kill the soul. But rather, him who is able to destroy both the soul and the body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a cent? Yet not one of them fall to the ground apart from your father. But the very hairs of your head are numbered. So do not fear. You are more valuable than many sparrows. We're gonna, if you want to circle the word valuable, we're going to come around to that word again. Um, Therefore, everyone who confesses me before men, I will also confess him before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny him before my Father in heaven. Do not think that I came to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. I came to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter in law against her mother-in-law, and a man's enemies will be the members of his own household. He who loves father and mother more than me is not worthy. There's an interesting word right there. Worthy of me. And he who loves his son and daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. He who has found his life will lose it. And who is, he who has lost his life will find his life uh, for my sake. Amen. Lord, I ask that you would speak to us now through your word. And uh, Lord, Holy Spirit, just uh, allow it that it would translate into the actual reality and rhythms of our life. Lord, we love you and we give that in Jesus' name. Amen. 
This past January, um, I had a privilege of being able to travel with my daughter, um, and she had discovered a ridiculously cheap airfare to Barcelona, uh, $300 round trip out of Chicago. And so she bought her ticket, I bought mine, and we went. And um, we had a, just, just several days that were great fun uh, visiting and just, just seeing, you know, historic, the, the, uh, the history of that city. But one of the places that we visited was the Barcelona Cathedral, and it's actually known as the Cathedral of the Cross. And it was just a few blocks away from where we, we were actually staying in this older hotel in the Gothic Quarter. Now, this massive cathedral is a Gothic cathedral that was built on 4th century foundation that for any time I've been, come to places like that, it's just incredibly humbling for me. Because part of what strikes me is when I come to a place like that, I just, I'm, I'm humbled when I'm sitting and I just pause for a moment. I'm like, your name has been confessed in this place for over a thousand years. That's a lot of witness. There's a lot of things that have changed over the last, you know, 1,400, 1,500 years. And yet the witness of Jesus continues to be proclaimed. And, and so there's something about that that, for me, uh, is always worth a pause. The other thing that's also interesting, especially in some of these incredible cathedrals, it, it touches a few things inside of me. First, consistently, is the way... I'll watch believer and unbeliever alike walk into a building like that, and the first thing that happens to them is they look up. I mean, it doesn't matter. And a little bit later, you know, we went to another one of the Denise and I's favorite places that we've ever been uh, to another cathedral in Barcelona, Sagrada Familia. It is stunning. And what happens is it, it, it causes you to, and that's the design of it all is it causes you to look up and to be captured by beauty. And isn't that the very definition of what worship should be about? To look up and to be captured by beauty. By what's actually true. Um, by the way, you compare that to the way many buildings often are designed today, church buildings that sometimes look more like warehouses. And, you know, we have spotlights, but I'm just saying it, when, when the attention is called to a platform, I think there's something worth noting that the testimony of true worship should be that we're captured in awe and by beauty. On the top of this building, of this cathedral in, in Barcelona, is a cross lifted high over the city. We actually had the privilege of being able to hike up to the, got these catwalks that, you know, you're able to go up and we got a picture together uh, behind one of the crosses that stands over the city. And what a beautiful testimony. Now, um, in the context of history, especially when I visit old buildings and cathedrals. I'm also, I mean, that always strikes me. I'm always like, wow, that's, ah, cool. But 
I don't even have to plan on this. Somewhere during that visit or as I leave the building, the other side of it hits me, which is, oh, yeah, a lot of these places were built, and they were built with systemic religious systems that were messed up. Um, where were we just at, babe? Oh, yeah. <laughs> we were in an incredible cathedral, and they're talking about how they, how, they, how they secured a ton of funds from the old uh, crusaders by telling them, if you'll give at least 6,000 or whatever their, you know, whatever the monetary system was of the day at the time, uh, that's going to get you, what, how many more years out of purgatory? Yeah, you know. And you're like, oh, that's gross. <laughs> no, that's not right. And then you add to that, by the way, add another layer to that when you have the, especially the colonial system that, that power and wealth and the church wasn't exempt from this by the means of using human beings. And it just, it's there. It's in palaces. It's in cathedrals. And, you know, the, where, where these toxic systems, religiously and, uh, and, and by, by wealth and power, were, were used to build these systems, you can't dismiss that one either. Because interestingly, you remember Jesus, when he's walking on the planet, and he's with his friends who are like, whoa, look at this temple, Jesus. And Herod had built that one, and it was pretty stunning. And he said, yeah, this is going to get torn down really quickly and rebuilt. And they're like, what? What are you, what are you, Jesus, take, wait, what are you talking about? Because Jesus is revealing that it wasn't about these structures. It was about the witness of the grace of God being revealed. So uh, I, my, my point is this, and please hear this. Uh, I, I think we need to learn from both. One doesn't invalidate the other, and we need to learn from both. Oh, God, that I would live in worship, captured by beauty and in awe of you, but recognizing Jesus, the kind of gospel that you came to bring to set the captive free. Amen? So there's the context, long context. We're in this cathedral. We've been on the top of it. We've walked around it. And off to the side, I see this prayer chapel that says, uh, they've got these glass doors that says, for prayer only. And so um, I said, well, babe, I want to I go in. I, haven't, I hadn't been able to finish my prayer time that day, so if you're okay, I want, I'd like to go in and just finish my prayer. And uh, so she came and sat with me and, you know, sat with Dad while he quietly is rocking back and forth and whispering his prayers. And anyway, we got done. And, and I'm just trying to absorb and enjoy the atmosphere. And then I notice something in this little prayer chapel that I have not seen in some other little prayer chapels. There were these four wooden, it might have been more, it might have been more than four. But anyway, these confessional booths that were around the prayer chapel. Here's what was different for it. There were priests in them about my age, older guys. And I was like, ooh. We came during confessional, and I wasn't aware. <laughs> Interesting. Now, usually I see these things empty, and uh, it, it, you know, I'm thinking back about my childhood when my brother and I used to walk down the block, and 
we would circle around the Catholic Church and go into it, and we'd sneak into the confessional, and the priest was never there. Thankfully, we didn't get in trouble for that. We got in trouble for other things, but, you know, we just, we just had no context or respect at all for, for that structure because in our, in our structure, we grew up in the Reformed Church that said, you know, these guys are all off base. You don't have to go to a confessional. Uh, being Reformed, what we did is we rehearsed the Ten Commandments every single week, and then we heard the pastor proclaim, you're forgiven. Blanket confession, blanket forgiveness. Who needs to go into a box and, and, and announce something to a priest uh, and hear him say you're forgiven? Um, in my later evangelical years, uh, we emphasized the idea of a personal relationship with Christ. To the point that I had one man come up to me and say, what's the point of this church anyway? I said, well, if all you think about the gospel is, is that's just you and Jesus. But wait, that's not even how Jesus presented the gospel. He said it's a kingdom in which we proclaim God's rule and reign has come, and it will affect everything, how you relate to one another and the world around you. So before I go any farther, I want to clarify that I've come to, to the place of recognizing the weakness of both of those previous systems. Let me be really clear. No, I don't need a priest to tell me I'm forgiven. But I do need to confess my sin, my weakness, my failure. And you know what? It's good to hear someone say, you are forgiven. No, uh, it is not just a personal experience with Jesus. The gospel is lived out loud in the lives of other people and those that I come into contact with. It's about living connected with God and others, loving God and loving my neighbor. And yes, I think there is something good about hearing that proclamation that you're forgiven. By the way, that should be the beginning point of any good Christian counseling. And Jesus, by the way, this is where I'm going with this. Jesus, in Matthew 10, is talking about a confessional that isn't locked inside of a little room. Jesus seems to think that we ought to live a life of confession that is about all of our life. And so that's the title I've given the message this morning, that, that the confessional it's not just what's happening in your prayer closet or a small box, but what's being confessed out of my life. Jesus' confessional is about a life lived in love for the sake of others. The good news that we're proclaiming this morning is that in a world filled with empty confessions, we're going to get to that in a minute, Jesus invites us to live in open confession. A life anchored in the love of God, not absent of conflict, but revealing the life of another age. I've come to bring a sword. Man, this text sometimes can feel like a hard text. Like, ooh, what you whisper is going to be proclaimed on the rooftop. Better watch out what you're saying. <laughs> ah! But as I've, as I've looked at this text, I'm like, oh, Lord, the heartbeat of this is your call to living a life that is a confessional of 
what's true. He's inviting his friends to a life that's real. Remember, just a few verses earlier, he says, I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves. That seems counterintuitive. And, and by the way, they're going to call you names. They're going to call you what they call me. Satan, dung face. Jesus' confessional is about a life lived for the sake of others. And so his question that he's asking, what's your life confessing? Because what your life is confessing is what really matters. Now, again, I want to say this, and I alluded to this a little bit ago, that we live in a world filled with confessions. I was thinking about this idea of confessional, you know, going into the confessional. Then Jesus, Lord, you're inviting us to a life of a confessional life. And in some theological context, that means that that we're not experience-oriented, that our faith is based on what we confess. Okay. But Jesus says it's based on how we're living. But then I begin to think about this some more, and I'm like, well, actually, every one of us is surrounded by these invitations. Well, a world that is shaped and led by confessions. Here's my point. We have these confessions that promise freedom, independence, and pleasure. Think about all the ways that we hear that every single day. If and when my party is in power, this person is elected, you purchase this product, you practice your life in this way, you participate in this activity, then you will really have a good life. Filled with freedom, independence, pleasure. Jesus' consistent confession is real life is in the kingdom and it will bring you to a cross. You know, it wasn't that many years ago that I uh, was teaching one of my boys to drive and he's behind the wheel of our little Toyota. And I was firmly exhorting him, hold the speed limit. Now, you guys could ask him that story, Nala, if you see him. You could ask him this. But I said, the speed limit on this road is 35, son. Ludwig Road, 35. I don't care if other people are going faster. You know how long you're going to be able to hold that permit if you get pulled over? What's wrong with this car? We are going so slow. Now, let me give a little context. This son of mine would get into the car, and whatever lever, button, or control could be moved, he would move them. True, babe? All right? Fan, heat, mirror, seat, everything had to be touched. All right? I'm like, son, can you just drive the car? He's pushing every button that he can push. And so we're going down the road, and by this point I glanced over, and I have a slight smirk on my face. I said, son, drive the speed limit. And then I look at the dash, 
and I'm trying not to look him in the eye. And I could only let him go for about another half a mile or so before I reached over to push the button that switched the digital readout from kilometers to miles per hour. <laughs> he was holding steady 35 kilometers per hour, which means he was going all of about 21 miles an hour. Dad! I thought it was funny. <laughs> he did not. <sighs> now, no harm done, right? Do we have a scale up there? You got that scale picture? It matters when we have the right measure in place. The word used for worthy by Jesus there is, the original word is axios. It's a reference to a scale. And on a scale, I, I was... I came all together with all these thoughts here a little late in the game. He was like, oh, I wanted to get a scale. But if you were to take a scale like you, the one that you see there, it's important that if you're trying to evaluate, that's why we have Department of Weights and Measures, so that you know, you know, and originally a, a certain weight had to be a certain amount so that when someone was charging you for a certain amount of food, uh, uh, what am I saying, you know, wheat, flour, whatever, it could be weighed according to that certain weight and you weren't being ripped off, right? It is very important that as we think about life, Lord, am I using the right scale? Interesting, that's the picture that Jesus was using. Now think about this. Every day we're hearing the confessional of a world around us saying, Here's where you'll find freedom, and they put a weight out there. And here's the price you've got to pay for it. And often, often, countless times, it ends in fear, shame, bondage, and pain. Right? True? Um, so Jesus is inviting his friends, and he's saying to them, Oh, I understand that you're being surrounded by a system in which you're evaluating what's worth your life and what your life is worth. And remember, he's just been rejected by the religious system that said, you're not loyal to our system, therefore we've weighed you. And, and what separates Jesus' invitation is that He's inviting them not to this religious you know, game of uh, you, you, you confess something with your lips in front of these people and then you can go live your life by the confession systems of the world. Jesus said, actually, it's those confession systems of the world that are the problem. Blessed are the poor, the ones that are despised. You're living in a system where you believe the rich are blessed. That's messed up. Oh, that hasn't changed much, has it? Right? Blessed are the meek. Oh, we like the strong Jesus. That's not a new idea. Jesus is inviting them to saying, you've got a scale in your head, and it's deep in your fiber of your being, and I'm inviting you to understand something. That's got to change. The family business that I'm a part of is blessing the world through self-giving love and forgiveness. It's called the kingdom of God. And Jesus puts on a body and gives himself fully to repair humanity and to restore them in relationship with God to know the love of the Father 
and to be able to extend that to one another. That's the kingdom. So think about this. And again, I don't want the, anybody to hear a condemning voice when we, you know, we hear the offers of, oh, man, I, would, I, I enjoy pleasure, Pastor, if I'm really honest. I enjoy freedom. So do I. That's because God put it in us. You know, the psalmist said, in your presence is the fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. That longing is a good longing. David later says in Psalm 23, we sang into that a little bit today, all that's good and beautiful, all of your loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life, and I'll dwell in the house of the Lord. Um, Let's see here. Oh, wait. It was Jesus who says, I've come here not to try to live by these other confessional systems, but to reveal that you could have life and have it to the full. Now watch this. Then he's saying to them, but you've got to take a look at what your scale looks like. The confessional life is not a life defined by religious certainty that you're hearing around you. It's defined by the love of the Father. And so, I was thinking about these ideas, okay? Two or three things came to my mind, and I do need to try to run through them quickly. All right, number one, a confessional life is not about the words you rehearse in your closet, but the life that you actually live in the open spaces of your life. Which system of confession am I putting onto the scale of my life? What do you mean by that, Pastor? What's worthy of your life? Jesus says, I want to invite you to live it out in the open. And, and by the way, here's what it looks like. Those who mourn, the meek, those who hunger and thirst for justice, the merciful. So the issues that ought to be driving your heart and weighing on the scale of your life are not the ones that you're hearing about in politics, party, or platform, but to care for the poor and to stand for justice is a life of confession. How do I know that? Well, God comes in the flesh and he lays down his life. And he never got involved in one of those other realms, but it affects all the other realms. He lays down his life and invites us to do the same. So confessional life is about the life we live. Number two, um, we have to be honest about the fact that we've all heard voices, and probably a lot of those are wrong. Um, Fear and shame are tutors. And we hear them every day. And fear and shame attempt to control the world. Listen, even if they have a religious sound to them, fear and shame needs to be taken off the scale. They're the wrong weights. Shame is not the weight that God has put there. He's not condemning. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Fear Perfect love drives out fear. So uh, Jesus invites us, don't live bound by fear or shame. But watch this. 
when you choose kingdom confession, Lord, I, I, you really do care about the poor and those who mourn, and you, you, you want us to, to care about justice issues? Yes. And guess what's going to await you? Well, Jesus said, here's what awaits you, hostility, name-calling, intimidation. A life lived in radical love is a person who's not going to be controlled by the interests of systems around them other than Jesus. So Jesus said, guess what? There's going to be hostility there. But don't miss this. Life awaits you. Whoever lays down his life will find it. That word for life, again, I don't have time to develop this fully, but that word for life is the original word used, connected to the original word, but when God made man from dust, put them together, there's a man, and he breathes the breath of life into him. Jesus is saying that life, that God kind of life that gives life to the, to the spirit and animates who we are, Whoever lays down his life will find it, will find that God-breathed life. So many times I've heard the preaching of the cross sound a little bit like this, that we bear up under something difficult, that we're doing the hard thing for God, that we're crying, Uncle, you know, Jesus demands us. So I just, ah, I guess it's my cross. Beloved, the cross is what reveals self-giving love and forgiveness. It's the cross that defeated the schemes and the plans of hell. It's the cross that defeated death by death. It's the cross that the church through the ages has pointed to and said, Christ has died, Christ has risen, and he will come again, not in a distant future, but in our life, because it's Christ in me. That's the mystery. That God breathed life to be present today in me. Beloved, we have to be honest about the fact that we've all heard them. We've all heard lousy voices. Um, the ones connected to fear and shame, lousy tutors, lay them to the side. Here's where the confessional of Jesus begins by hearing the right voice. How do I hear that right voice? I memorize the right verses. Well, how about if we just begin with this? point of confession. Uh, Revelation 4 and 5. John's in heaven and he hears, worthy is the Lamb. For you purchased men for God from every tribe, language, and tongue. This is a thought that deserves repetition in our heart. This isn't a sense of like, Jesus, wow, look at what you did. It is a wow, look at what he did. But let's also not miss the other reality, that anthem of heaven that says, there's only one that could open the scroll. There's only one that was worthy to purchase men, you and me. The only thing that was worthy of his blood was you. Do, do, do you hear that? You were worth what he paid. That is the anthem of heaven. The confessional life begins by surrendering to what God said was most valuable to him and worthy of what he gave. You. 
This is where the confessional life begins. Not me sitting and going, oh no, have I done enough? It begins by me being stunned by beauty and in awe of his love for me. Oh, that's the right measure. Not shame, not fear. I'm in awe of you, God. Oh my goodness, your love looks like that. Yes. This is where it begins. And as I agree with him and lay down my life, I find life. God breathed life. Now, hear me. Theology and doctrine matter, but the bedrock of our confession is in worth. Jesus' confessional is about a life lived in love for the sake of of others, and beloved, that is good news. I want to invite us this morning to close. It's a little bit of a lengthy prayer, and I think, did you get copies of those, Angie? Yeah, great, great, great. I, uh, I had a copy of these. This is a, a prayer that was put together. And uh, those of you on the call, if you, want to, if you want to just send me an email or something, I can email this to you pretty quickly and easily. I would love for you just to have a copy of this. Now, I don't pray this all the time. Went through a season where I prayed it almost every day. Sometimes I come back to praying it almost every day. It's an extended version of the Lord's Prayer. I think we've done it here before. But I want to encourage you to stand up with me. Uh, I, Brian Zahn's the one who kind of hammered this together. There's, I've given some variations to it personally as I pray through it. But we're just going to go through this particular version of it. Okay, so if you want to read it from your piece of paper, or I think we might have it up on the screen. Ready? Let's pray this together. Our Father, Holy Father, Abba Father in the heavens, hallowed, holy, sacred be your name. From the rising of the sun to the going down of the same, the name of the Lord is to be praised. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. The whole earth is full of your glory. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Thy government come. Thy politics be done on earth as it is in heaven. Thy reign and rule come. Thy plans and purposes be done on earth as it is in heaven. May we be an anticipation of the age to come. May we embody the reign of Christ here and now. Give us day by day our daily bread. Provide for the poor among us as we seek first your kingdom and your justice. May all we need be provided for us. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Transform us by the Holy Spirit into a forgiving community of forgiven sinners. Lead us not into trouble, trial, tribulation, or temptation. Be mindful of our frame. We are but dust. We can only take so much. Lead us out of the wilderness into the promised land that flows with milk and honey. Lead us out of the badlands into resurrection country. Deliver us from evil and the evil one. Save us from Satan, the accuser and adversary, so that no weapon formed against us will prosper.
so that every tongue that rises in accusation you will condemn. So that every fiery dart of the wicked one is extinguished by the shield of faith. So that as we submit to you and resist the devil, the devil flees. So that as we draw near to Jesus, Christ is lifted up. His cross becomes for us the axis of love expressed in forgiveness that refounds the world. And the devil, who became the false ruler of the fallen world, is driven out from among us. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Lord, as we come to this place of confession, by your invitation, Lord, we confess not only that Christ has died and Christ has risen, but Jesus, you said that as we take of this cup, as we participate in this meal together, we proclaim your life and your death. We proclaim the mystery of your love revealed to us and for us. And the mystery of our union together with you. So Lord, we love you. And we receive it now in faith and in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm going to invite you to come.